Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Available on Apple Podcasts and Podcast One. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Snyder Cut Podcast. Not much time to waste. A lot of news to get to in the wake of D23 last weekend. I'm taping this a day early, folks, because Friday morning I am on my way to New York City to battle Paul Yomama Oyama for the singles championship of the Movie Trivia Schmodown. It's going to be awesome if you are in New York or anywhere near it. I urge you to buy a ticket. I'm going to put on a hell of a show, whether I win or lose. Um, so, yeah, we're doing this podcast a day early. Who knows what could happen on Friday, but there was plenty to get to this week. Let's start with D23, which was just craziness all weekend. Uh, news left and right. Marvel bombs, Lucasfilm bombs, everything you could want from an entertainment site. It was on Collider this weekend. Uh, top, of the, top of the thing was uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. Which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, uh, you and McGregor being in talks to return. Boom, it's confirmed. Uh, the series is going to take place eight years after Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Revenge of the Sith, I actually saw that in theaters. I never saw Attack of the Clones or Phantom Menace. I didn't see the first two prequels. Uh, I dug Revenge of the Sith. It was probably, it was, in fact, the first uh, Star Wars movie that I saw theatrical, uh, theatrically. Um, what that, what Obi-Wan's return means, I have absolutely no idea. I am not immersed in the Star Wars uh, mythology, but hey, I'd get killed if I didn't lead with Star Wars. Um, let's, what else is cool? I did, you know, sticking with Star Wars, Rise of the Skywalker. I thought that trailer was pretty good. I mean, I like, I never, I saw the first Harry Potter movie and I saw the very last Harry Potter movie because I like endings. Uh, they're typically darker and, um, Rise of the Skywalker looks pretty dark. I like seeing a, a potential dark side uh, Ray. Um, Daisy Ridley look cool. Uh, I like that little shot at the end with the the red um, lightsaber thing. Um, Adam Driver. This is the year of Adam Driver. We are living in it, folks, between Marriage Story and The Report. Uh, this is only going to sort of bolster those, uh, those smaller films towards the end of the year. Um, I like the Mandalorian trailer. That trailer was sick. I mean... I might have to get Disney Plus just for that um, because nothing else on the service really looks like it's aimed at me. Uh, not the not that I'm a big Star Wars fan, um, but The Mandalorian, I have to admit, looked pretty cool. I like the visuals. I like that you know there's no uh, scaling down uh, in terms of like the scope um, you know from film to television because this is the first live action Star Wars series. It looks just as big and epic. As uh, as a typical you know theatrical feature, and I like Pedro Pascal a lot. Uh, very cool to see Werner Herzog in that trailer. Um, what else in Star Wars? Was there anything else? I don't even know. Um, I don't know. Let's, let's we can just jump to Marvel. Who cares? Uh, Kit Harrington from Game of Thrones, another show I don't really care about. Don't watch. Um, he has been cast as the Black Knight in the Eternals. And he may have a larger role in the MCU. He may not just be restri restricted restricted to this franchise. Um, not a huge Kit Harrington guy yet, I gotta say. I'm not a big Game of Thrones person uh, for anybody. Amelia Clark, Sophie Turner, Kit Harrington. Um, none of them had sort of have sort of convinced me of their star power outside of that franchise. I've seen a couple of of Kit Harrington things, including his turn on SNL, and, and like I just he's so little. 
I just don't see how, you know, he can really be intimidating, but I, I'm sure you're going to throw Jon Snow in my face on that. Um, Richard Madden, you know, like when I saw him in Bodyguard, I was like, oh, I get it now. I see it. And he's going to be working with Kit, Kit Harington on this movie. I mean, hell of a cast for Eternals. I don't think the, the casting is even anywhere near done. Um, but finally, you know, we got a, an answer to the mystery after Deadline teased us last week with Kit Harington joining movie. Actor joins movie. We don't know what the movie is. We don't know who he's going to be playing, but it is a Marvel movie. Uh, well, yeah. Now we know it's the Eternals. Elsewhere, Black Panther 2 coming out in 2022. That is uh, quite the wait. But, you know, it's Ryan Coogler. You want to give, you don't want to rush him. You don't want to rush this movie, which was a gigantic mega hit for, for Disney and Marvel in a way that I'm not even sure that they were expecting. So, you know, you got to give Coogler uh, time to finish the script. Um, because I think that that is still being written. I imagine this will start casting maybe next spring, next summer, something like that, and then it'll get going in the fall, uh, maybe top of 2021 if they have to. But I I would imagine you start filming this next fall uh, to get it out in time for uh, 2022. Lots of stuff happening with the Disney Plus series this week. And and again, I don't think I'm really interested in any of these. I might watch Falcon and Winter Soldier just because I'm I'm an Anthony Mackie fan. Super fan, but like WandaVision, like that, that actually sounds like an interesting premise because it's, it, it, it sounds so different than, you know, what we're accustomed to from the typical Marvel series. Uh, you know, the Marvel series are not going to be like they were on Netflix. They're not going to be nearly as dark or as gritty. I think in this series, you know, your, Wanda has sort of created this suburban, you know, imagined herself as like, it's almost like Pleasantville in a way. Like there's like this suburban, uh, beautiful lifestyle that she creates in her head, almost like a, an old sitcom in order to deal with the death of of the vision. Uh, so maybe she she brings him back within that television show within her mind. Uh, Kat Dennings is going to be coming back from the Thor f- films. Randall Park is back as uh, Agent Jimmy Woo, who is in Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp. And Catherine Hahn, love this casting. She's going to be cast as uh, Elizabeth Olsen's nosy neighbor. Uh, and every sitcom sort of needs one of those. Catherine Hahn, you can't do much better than that. Uh, that's cool that she is joining the MCU, and hopefully they bring her along, uh, you know, as, as comic relief for a movie maybe. Um, Wyatt Russell joining the cast of Falcon and Winter Soldier. Really like Wyatt Russell. Uh, I don't know. He's playing, I think it's John Walker, who is either like Patriot something or U.S. agent. So I don't, we don't, I don't know if we actually know which version of John Walker we're getting. I kind of just assumed he was going to be U.S. agent. I think he kind of inherits the Captain America mantle, if you will, but you know, uses it uh, to settle some scores. And, and he's not like this goody two shoes like Chris Evans was. Uh, and so maybe Anthony Mackie has to come in to sort of reclaim the title of. of Captain America for the Forces of Good or something like that. Uh, again, I don't know all the specifics, but it sounds like Wire Russell has a pretty cool role here. Um, elsewhere, Moon Knight, She-Hulk, and Miss Marvel. This may as well be Egyptian hier- hieroglyphics to me. Uh, She-Hulk, I'm assuming, is a female version of the Hulk. Moon Knight, don't care. Skip. Uh, Miss Marvel, Captain Marvel, so many Marvels, I can't even keep track. Um, I'm not watching any of these series. Come on. Uh, there's just too much. We're in the peak, the golden age of television. This is peak TV. I don't have time to be watching all these comic book series. It's for the same reason I don't watch any of the CW shows. Like this stuff, this stuff is just not for me. It is for teenagers. You put it in a movie theater, then I'll then I'll consider it. Um, I did watch, you know, Daredevil and, and the first season of Luke Cage and the first season of Punisher, and I and I dug that stuff. I watched the first season of Jessica Jones as well. 
But, uh, you know, besides Daredevil, I don't know that I necessarily went back for a second season on any of those. And I can't imagine that these will be any more interesting, uh, given that they are aimed at sort of all audiences for Disney. And, um, yeah, I just, I, you know, I don't need to know every little thing about this universe. I don't, I, know, I didn't grow up reading comics. Um, I don't know, I mean, God, who, who can consume all this stuff? Who wants all this stuff? Isn't it supposed to be a treat when a comic book movie, like a big comic movie comes out? You haven't seen, it's been a few months since you've seen the last one. I just don't like that we're being bombarded with all this comic book content. I thought it would relent, especially in the, uh, on the Marvel side now that we're losing some, you know, marquee characters, um, or at least actors playing those characters. But, uh, but yeah, man, there's just no end to the characters that they have in their library and they may exploit every single one of them. Um, and by the way, we are going to get these Disney Plus shows as uh, in weekly installments. They're not coming all at once, like uh, at Marvel. Uh, sorry, like at Netflix, which I think is is probably smart. Um, I mean, there's something to be said about being able to binge an entire show, but if you want to keep a conversation going, because these days, you know, Netflix, re- re- you know, releases these shows and they flame out. They get this big press bump, and everybody's talking about it for a week, and then we've moved on to the next Netflix release. So I think that's probably smart uh, of Disney Plus to dole these out one at a time, and that way, you you know, you can have someone recapping these these shows for six weeks. You know, um, what else in the MCU? Spider Man. The Far From Home writers are returning. I don't even know if I'd heard of these guys uh, until I saw uh, cut that little snippet. Tom Holland did appear on stage at D23 telling the crowd, I love you 3000. He promised a way to make the, uh, the Spider-Man movies cooler without all those MCU connections. I'm just glad that he's sticking around because I think that there was a question of, of whether he was under contract or not. I could never see Tom Holland walking away from his dream role of Spider-Man. That means so much to, to so many kids across the world. I, I don't see him. I never saw him walking away because, you know, because he wasn't going to be part of the MCU anymore. And that's what he signed up for. Like, come on. Uh, we're getting an, un, an extended cut of Spider-Man Far From Home in theaters this weekend. I'll be there. Not. No. Come on. This is totally unnecessary. Uh, I'm not a fan. I mean, I guess if it's Labor Day weekend and there are no major new releases, like, sure, put out the Midsummer Director's Cut. Put out this extended cut of Spider-Man Far From Home. But really, you'd have to be quite a sucker to to pay for either of these things. Like, you know, there's going to be a description of, of whatever, you know, is new in, in Spider-Man. That'll be online. I don't even know what, what you need to see it for. I mean... I know, yeah, I wouldn't want to just read descriptions of movies, but am I really going to shell out another 15 bucks for, for 5 to 10, 15 extra minutes of, of Spider-Man Far From Home, which I didn't think was, you know, that great to begin with? No. Midsummer is a little bit more defensible because if, you know, like that's a very divisive movie. Either love it or you hate it. I hated it. But the people who love it, I could see them going back for an extra 20 minutes uh, and, and to see Ari Aster's vision in full. But, you know, I don't think that there's like a vision in full to see as far as far from home. I think it's just a, a pretty, you know, crass way to milk a few extra dollars out of Marvel fans. Um, what else? We got our first look at Emma Stone as Cruella DeVille. Looked good. I dug it. I can see it. I think that movie's going to be a hit. Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey were revealed as the voices in Pixar's Soul, which sounds interesting. I like Pixar trying to get at, you know, the heart of these things that we're all that we all wonder as, as kids. You know, like are there people in our brain controlling our emotions? Uh, you know, like Inside Out. I, I like the idea of, of Pixar exploring. You know, what is a soul, and, and you know, um, how everybody has a different kind of soul, and. 
you know, even people who do bad things have have a soul, you know, theoretically. So I don't know. It should should be interesting. Um, Lizzie McGuire, they're, they're doing another version of that with Hillary Duff. This is not a show that I grew up watching. I think I'm a little too old for it, but it definitely meant something to the people maybe five, six years younger than me. Uh, in the same way that I loved Clarissa Explains It All or Alex Mack or whatever. Um, the question I'm wondering is, will there, you know, all these Disney Channel sort of originals, will they be available on Disney Plus? Will we see some of the old Disney Channel movies uh, appear on on the streaming service? And will they be, be there forever or will they sort of be cycled in and out um, the way that, you know, a Netflix or any streaming service sort of cycles content in and out depending on contracts? I mean, Disney won't have to cycle anything uh, because they own it all, but... You know, do they want to make it all available all at once, or, or do they want to say, you know, in three months these, you know, we're going to put these movies up now. In three months or six months, they're going to be leaving the service. We'll bring in a, a new crop. Um, so that sort of did it for D twenty three. I can't think of anything else that particularly stood out up there. I mean, it's not like you know, you can check out Collider for all of our coverage. Uh, there was a lot of interesting stuff, a lot of big announcements. Uh, but I think we're going to move along here to Blumhouse. Quite the week for Blumhouse, my former employer. Uh, So early in the week, we got the news that Anthony Michael Hall will play Tommy Doyle in Halloween Kills. There was no mention of him surviving until Halloween ends, so we don't know if this is a two-picture deal or not. Uh, Tommy Doyle, we had teased on the very first episode of the Snyder Cut here, when when Justin Kroll uh, was our very special guest. Um, we said that Tommy Doyle was going to be coming back, but that Blumhouse reached out to Paul Rudd and they couldn't get him because he's busy shooting Jason Reitman's Ghostbusters. Uh, I kind of love this Anthony Michael Hall casting. He's not Paul Rudd. He's not even a star like Paul Rudd, but he sort of, you know, he's like a, an 80s icon, if you will, thanks to those John Hughes movies like Sixteen Candles and The Breakfast Club. I love his more menacing turn in uh, Edward Scissorhands. You know, he's Winona Ryder's boyfriend in that, and he's like, you know, just like bullying uh, uh, Johnny Depp, obviously. I loved Anthony Michael Hall in that movie. I liked him in The Dark Knight. I just, it's cool that he's sort of getting a, a shot on this one, uh, that they're sort of not resurrecting his career necessarily, because he's been working. He had that Dead Zone series for a while, but uh, he, he certainly hasn't booked anything this big in a while. Um, so, yeah, that, that was pretty cool. Then, this morning. I'd gotten a tip uh, a couple days ago that Catherine Newton and Vince Vaughn were going to star in a Blumhouse movie. Uh, this was first teased or hinted at uh, a couple weeks ago on Discussing Film, which had reported that Christopher Landon was directing an undyneled Blumhouse movie. It was going to be inv- involving like a killer, uh, you know, terrorizing a small town, and and all that is correct. Uh, but I got a little bit more about it this week, and it, it, basically it's going to be like Freaky Friday. At first, I had to ask around, is it a Freaky Friday remake? And of course not. Like, you know, that that is a Disney-owned property. Uh, they just rebooted it, I think, last year as, as a musical. Um, so I had to rule that out first, that Disney wasn't going to be taking this uh, property to the dark side. But no, you know, it, the same way that Blumhouse played with the high-concept uh, genre idea with with Happy Death Day and, and Chris Landon, you know, which, sorry, which Chris Landon directed, and he uh, wrote and directed the second one as well, which I didn't think was nearly as good. Um, but you know, Blumhouse is doing stuff with these with these sort of high concepts, and Freaky Friday is a cool one. It's basically just a body swap, you know, like like we saw with the change up. Um, and so in this case, Vince Vaughn is going to be playing a serial killer. Uh, 
and he swaps bodies with his sort of teenage target, played by Catherine Newton, who's in Detective Pikachu and, and Big Little Lies, in which she plays Reese, Reese Witherspoon's daughter. Uh, and, and so she's going to have, like, you know, the, the process is irreversible after 24 hours. So she has got to figure out how to solve this problem within 24 hours or else, yeah, she's going to have a, basically a serial killer uh, trapped in, in her beautiful body. And uh, her soul or whatever it is is going to be trapped in his hulking massive uh, man mountain body um i think it's pretty cool i like chris landon uh again was a fan of happy death day didn't love where they took it in the sequel um but i have uh faith in this one have high hopes really like what vince vaughn has been up to lately he hasn't done horror in a while um although he has been doing darker stuff like true detective and dragged across across concrete and and brawl and cell block 99 all of which were really good really enjoyed him in in, uh, fighting with my family earlier this year which if you haven't seen definitely check that out um so yeah when i heard vince vaughn doing a blumhouse movie i was like ah that makes sense that would be the next sort of step uh for his career um and Catherine newton obviously a a major rising star um so yeah nice nice get for Blumhouse. But here is the big Blumhouse news. Again, I haven't necessarily confirmed that they're involved in this one, but sources say that Jason Blum is teaming up with Ginger Sledge, Richard Linklater's longtime collaborator, to produce Richard Linklater's next movie. And uh, that is an adaptation of Stephen Sondheim's musical, Merrily We Roll Along. Now, this is something I've been sitting on for a couple of months, uh, trying to get all the details, trying to be respectful of the process. Um, but, yeah, ultimately just you know heard that word was spreading and uh, had, had to post it today. Um, so, so the big hook to this project, besides the fact that it's going to star Ben Platt uh, from Dear Evan Hansen and Beanie Feldstein. But, you know, both of these people are having a huge moment. Ben Platt's going to be in Ryan Murphy's new show, The Politician. Beanie Feldstein was in Booksmart. She was just cast as Monica Lewinsky in American Crime Story. So, like, you know, these two are red hot. And you need stars who are red hot because – Richard Linklater is planning to shoot this movie. From what I understand, my current understanding of things, he's going to shoot this for the next 20 years. He, you know, the story is told over the course of 20 years, and I think that, you know, obviously Linklater did Boyhood, which was shot over a course of 12 years. Very ambitious. This is even more ambitious. Uh, I think, you know, he'd be he'd be filming it backwards. So um, I, I think the the you know, the, the musical or whatever starts out when they're a little bit older and then sort of goes back to, to see, you know, maybe how idealistic they were and how they lost their way or whatever it was. Um, I'm, you know, I haven't seen the Sondheim musical. I hope I'm not butchering that description. But uh, but yeah, Ben Platt and Beanie Feldstein as the leads. And, and you know, he's going to film a little bit each year or every few years, you know, however the story, whatever the story dictates. But it's crazy to think that this movie may not see theaters for 20 years. I will be 55 years old by the time that happens. Um, it's crazy. I mean, I think it's crazy when Marvel or Star Wars or Neon Jones, whatever it is, and when they date movies five or six years in, in the future, when Avatar 5 has like a 2024 or 25 release date or something, uh, that's tough for me to wrap my brain around. It was tough for the internet to clearly wrap its brain around a 20-year project because they're like, oh, poor Richard Linklater. Has he ever heard of climate change? Um, who knows if we will all still be around in 20 years? Uh but hey, I, I hope that the guy pulls it off. He's 59 years old right now. I, I think he's already started filming this project, to be frank. Um, but yeah, by the time he's 79, 
listen, Woody Allen, Clint Eastwood, they're still making movies uh, at that age. So if they can do it, why can't Richard Linklater? I think this will be a good project for him to sort of tinker with in between larger projects. You know, as he's maybe spending time trying to get financing lined up for whatever, he can always go back to this uh, and, and bang out a few scenes at a time. Um, so, yeah, a lot going on for Blumhouse this week. Hopping over to D.C. D.C., Taika Waititi, Nathan Fillion, and Steve Agee. Uh, joining The Suicide Squad, James Gunn's sequel to the David Ayer movie. Um, I think Steve Agee is going to be doing King Shark, uh, which was something that we thought that Michael Rooker might be doing. Um, I know Steve from his work on the Sarah Silverman program. I always thought he was really funny. Uh, You know, I I, I like that that there's going to – it seems like there's going to be some humor here. Like, you know, James Gunn. His Guardians movies have had a great sense of humor, and I think that he sees that opportunity here in Suicide Squad. Um, Nathan Fillion, you know, he, he's sort of been with James Gunn since the beginning. I don't know why. Uh, I wasn't surprised to see that, but uh, I, I should have sniffed that out. Taika Waititi is pretty cool considering he's he's a Marvel guy coming over to do DC. I don't know if it will be a live action role or a voice role or whatever because uh, I loved him as, as Korg in, in Thor Ragnarok. Um but yeah, three three solid additions to the Suicide Squad, and elsewhere, uh, It Chapter Two's director Andy Machete confirms that the Flash will be his next movie. Of course, we'll see about that. We've heard that from a lot of directors on the Flash. I still don't know, you know, what the plan is going to be for that thing. I, I think Machete is better suited for something like the Flash than he was for It. And, I, and again, it has its fans. A lot of people in the Collider office loved it. And, uh, you know, you should go see Chapter 2 if you were a fan of Chapter 1. But I, I wasn't a big fan of Chapter 1. Uh, didn't love Chapter 2 either. And, and just think that Machete is more suited to big spectacle, like, like the kind that I think The Flash offers. And, and he tried to do that with it, and it didn't quite work. I, I just don't think that it needed that um to tell to tell the story that it was telling can't really review it uh, so i'm not trying to get into into that too much um but i think machete uh, he could be the guy who brings the flash across the finish line just on the sheer basis of how much money you know he's he's going to be making for warner brothers with this this it sequel um over in netflix uh, lots going on with all the release dates you know, basically a whole bunch of their their fall movies are going to be hitting select theaters for about two to three weeks, uh, including The Irishman. It's not going to be playing in major chains. Part of that is because, you know, the, the windowing. Uh, the major chains typically require a 90-day window. I think Netflix maybe would have gone as high as like 30 or even maybe 45, like if they had to open this movie in late September, early October, and uh, or even mid-October, then they could have it out end of November like they're planning to. But ultimately, it was not to be. They couldn't make an agreement. And so it's going to get a, I believe, what is it, a 26-day run in theaters? It's going to open on November 1st and then start streaming November 27th, which is the Friday after Thanksgiving. You'll be there with your family. You'll all be able to crowd around. Uh, it might even be the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. So... Either way, you'll be able to watch it with the family uh, and you'll be able to pause it and take bathroom breaks because it is three and a half hours long, according to the New York Film Festival, which re- revealed it's a 210-minute running time, which was seemingly confirmed by, by Chris Tapley, who has seen a lot of Netflix's movies as he's writing for uh, the Q magazine over there. Um, New York Film Festival, of course, updated its website, took down the description of the movie, took down the running time. It's so funny, just like the cover your ass of it all, probably because, you know, I don't know if the movie's blocked or not. I don't know if Scorsese's still tinkering with it, but I'm sure Netflix uh, gave New York Film Festival an earful. Uh, speaking of 
giving earfuls. They got an earful from a lot of OA fans over the last week or two, but uh, formally came out and announced that there will be no OA movie. The series is over with with the bizarre season two finale, which I did not like and uh, had me questioning whether I was even going to return for season three. I loved season one of the OA. Don't need a movie. And yeah, the way from where they took it in season two, like, I think I think you lose your show privileges after that. I'm sorry. A lot to do this week uh, regarding the Chappelle special. Sticks and Stones on Netflix. Man, I don't know how much I want to say about this. Um, I tweeted something to the effect of like, listen, nobody cares what you think about the Dave Chappelle special. And nobody really cares what I think about the Dave Chappelle special. What I'm interested in hearing about is what Netflix's LGBTQ employees think about the special. Um, Because, you know, I think that obviously – there's some very controversial material in this special. I'm a huge stand-up connoisseur, and I am a 100% free speech guy, and, and I defend Dave Chappelle and anyone else's right to say anything up there on that stage. It's comedy. Uh, so I don't think that he was you know, being trying to be mean or hurt people's feelings, but obviously feelings are hurt in this day and age. Um, the gay community, the trans community, everybody is sort of up in arms, and a lot of people coming to their rescue, and I completely understand that. Um, but, you know... I think it uh, again it's tricky. I'm just I'm just real curious what you know a, a gay or lesbian or trans employee at Netflix thinks about, you know, Netflix being, you know, giddy about releasing this um and, and just you know having that relationship with with Chappelle. I mean, I loved it and when I tweeted that, it was so funny. I got a lot of responses maybe, maybe because I've curated my social media, but people being like, "Well, don't be such a snowflake, Jeff." I'm like, well, that that is not what I was getting at. I thought it was hilarious. I laughed my ass off, and and I you know have tra- trans friends and gay friends and lesbian friends, um, bisexual friends. Uh, you know, he didn't spare anybody. He didn't spare anybody's feelings. I think if you're making fun of everybody, you know, that isn't isn't that sort of what equality looks like? I, you know, I understand the complaints that he's really hammering the, the trans stuff, and what, you know, why does he insist on doing that? I, I would say, you know, a little bit. Added context, you can you can watch that uh, epilogue that is included uh, with the special. It's called Epilogue Punchline. Um, and it, it just shows, I don't know, uh, that Dave, I think he thinks, he really does think about this stuff. And I think when you tell a comic you can't say this, it's just like telling a kid you can't do this. Like it's the first thing that they're going to do. Um, so, well, yeah, when you, when you tell Chappelle... Don't say this. Of course, Chappelle's going to go back to those jokes. Uh, and again, I, I laughed, but I also understand, you know, if they were hurtful to people, um, I don't think he owes them an apology. I don't think that they needed to click on the special. You know, it's like he says, hey, you clicked on my face. Um, and, and by now, you know, people should know what to expect. But I would definitely, with great interest, read a piece in the LA Times or whoever wanted to do it, inter- you know, with somebody interviewing. You know, they don't have to put their names to it, but if they want to, you know, just talk on background, Netflix's gay, lesbian, and trans employees, what do they think of this special and, and their company endorsing it? Um, elsewhere, a bit, you know, the trades are really running with the, the Sundance movies bombing narrative. Uh, you know, everybody loves to revel in, in failure in this town. Um, it, yeah, they didn't do great. And you're right. Like, there's this whole indie ecosystem that, that you know only one or two or three movies come out of it each year that that make you know money that's really worth talking about whether it's the big sick or ladybird you know whatever this year i think the movies have been good i thought it was a a pretty good summer at the movies all things considered um 
but yeah, like when Late Night doesn't perform and you're shelling out 13, 14 million for it, like that movie speaks for itself. I, I thought it was really, really good, but the marketing was bad. They couldn't figure out how to get people in the theater. If you can't figure out how to get people in the theater, like why are you even buying these movies? Uh, I, I guess it's a streaming play. And yeah, you can put the movie on your streaming service, you know, fairly quickly. But um, I, I just wonder what Late Night might have looked like in the hands of a different distributor, you know, who, who had a different marketing plan for it. The jury is still out on Amazon's uh, Britney Runs a Marathon, which I thought was excellent as well. And it opened strong on five screens last weekend. But like, you know, our, our wider audience is coming, going to come out and see this based on Amazon's marketing materials. And I don't, I don't think that they will. And it's like, man, it, why not just – why are you investing so much money in a theatrical release if you're not going to recoup? You're not even going to come close to recouping the P&A because it takes like 15, 20 at least to even open a movie in wide release uh, and advertise it properly. Um, so it's just like bad money spent after bad money. Uh, I, I, it's like I know that there are these bidding wars in the mountains in, in Utah and Park City. But yeah, it seemed like some of these decisions, uh, the, the executives were low on oxygen because I just don't know how some of these movies are supposed to recoup. Um, it's not that they're bad. Amazon executives, I think, have great taste. I'm looking forward to the report. Uh, but it, it is a tough theatrical landscape out there. And if you're not an event, um, you're just, you're just going to fall flat. And that makes it harder for other indie movies like yours to get made in the future. Uh, you know, we've had one nice indie story this this year with the farewell. A twenty four, I think, got that that uh, thirteen or fourteen million or so, um, and people are still finding it. I guess that's a great movie. These are all some of the best movies of the year, but it's just like nobody's going to see them. Blinded by the Light, another one. I really enjoyed it, but the audience just isn't there. And and if it's not there, like why? Why was New Line? They shouldn't be in the Blinded by the Light business. Why are they picking up this movie? You know, like if Neon had had opened that, I think that they could have even come up with it with maybe a better campaign and targeted, you know, the indie art house crowds that would go see it rather than New Line just sort of shooting it out there to the masses and, and letting it only make three or four million dollars. Um, you know, you can ask similar questions of like Searchlight. What is the future of Searchlight? They have some big movies coming up. They've got a Terrence Malick movie. They've got Wes Anderson's movie next year. But people are starting to wonder, will Searchlight become Disney's home for horror? You know, they had Ready or Not open um, and, again, not they didn't spend a ton on Ready or Not uh, to promote it. Uh, not a lot of advertising for it. They have Antlers coming up with Kerry Russell from Scott Cooper. You know, he, he's, a, he's a big league director. He's not – he's a little bit, you know, better known than the Radio Silence guys. Like, are they going to spend to promote that? And we'll just, you know, like, we'll be – like, horror's a, a solid business, whether it's Jordan Peele or Blumhouse or – James Wan, like, is Searchlight trying to get into this business? Um, and will we see them re be releasing, you know, more horror movies? Uh, interesting questions. Elsewhere, what else we got this week? Michael Bay. Michael Bay directing the Sony movie Black Five after doing Six Underground for Netflix, which I thought was coming out this fall. Guess I'm mistaken. Maybe they're holding that for next spring because, uh, they believe me, they got more than enough on their, on their plate this fall. I mean, I would love to see Michael Bay do a Marvel or DC movie. I'd, I'd like to see him play with some more adult IP than Transformers. But um, I'll, I'll, I will settle for the, for this Sony Black 5 movie. I mean, I, I, I like Michael Bay's stuff. I like his early stuff a lot more than the more recent stuff. But, but I dug uh, 13 Hours and, 
you know, I, I like when he's playing in this sort of black ops macho world. Uh, so hopefully Sony can find him some some movie stars. Like, get what is Channing Tatum doing? Get Channing Tatum in a goddamn Michael Bay movie, for Christ's sake. Eva, Long- uh, Eva Longoria directing a Flaming Hot Cheetos movie. I know how it sounds, folks. It sounds ridiculous. Who would want to see a movie about Flaming Hot Cheetos? Listen, it's not a movie about Cheetos. It's going to be... I think it sounds like a, a kind of interesting movie. Like uh, I, I like joy. I like the the creation of a product or, or an idea, or strategy, whether it's social network or Moneyball or joy, whatever. Um, so I like the idea of like this janitor who's just you know had a dream, a modest dream. Maybe it was, you know, it, it's not everybody's dream to create flaming hot Cheetos, but uh, I see him everywhere now. They're, they're hugely popular, and uh, getting Eva Longoria, a, a Latina filmmaker um, who's who's been directing more, to come in and, and take a shot at that. I don't know, you know, you, you never know what what could hit, uh, especially with Latino audiences, uh, which are you know the fastest growing audience in America. Um, we got Viola Davis cast as Michelle Obama in a Showtime project called First Ladies that's going to explore uh, a couple First Ladies each season. We're going to get Betty Ford and Eleanor Roosevelt alongside Michelle Obama. I like that casting a lot. Viola Davis, obviously, um, you know, one of the top actresses in town, carries herself with a sort of a sort of poise and dignity that Michelle Obama uh, also carried herself in, in serving our country. And uh, yeah, I, li- I like that casting. Wishing that Showtime project the best of luck. We also saw Himesh Patel cast in Christopher Nolan's Tenet. That movie is already in production, um, so he's a late addition to the cast. But uh, got you know, I've heard good things about his work in Yesterday. I did not see that movie yet. I'm going to rent it before the end of the year. He's also in The Aeronauts, which we got a trailer for this week. Um, and we're going to talk about that a little bit later. I'm pretty sure that was him. Fred Heckinger. This is a young actor who was in eighth grade and in Vox Lux, and he's lining up a bunch of stuff. He's, he's in the Fear Street movie. He's going to be playing uh, Julianne Moore and Gary Oldman's son in Joe Wright's thriller, The Woman in the Window. So this kid has been cast in uh, an undisclosed role in Paul Greengrass's film, News of the World. Uh, and that's what Tom Hanks, which, you know, the movie also found like a, its 11-year-old German lead this week. Um, I just like I like Paul Greengrass when he's casting sort of newcomers. I, I really like some of the young young actors he found for Twenty Two July, which if you haven't seen on Netflix, I definitely suggest that you check it out. Um, so yeah, maybe he's found something with this this Heckinger kid. We'll see. You know what cast I'm not loving? Mortal Kombat. And I know it's I'm not even gonna bother reading the names because it's pretty low rent cast if you ask me. Um, but I I mean I guess it doesn't matter since fans are really coming. For the brand, they're coming to see a Mortal Kombat fight movie. They don't care who's fighting. They just want to see people fight. They want to see the, the kills and the fatalities. I hope that they go R-rated with this. I hope that it's not a sanitized PG-13 video game movie. Video game movies obviously have a terrible track record at the box office. Um, the best video game movie was Jumanji, which is not based on an actual video game. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Mortal Kombat, man. I don't know about that one. We got a Mortal Kombat video game, uh, an arcade here in the Collider office. I've been playing it. I actually beat Mark Fernandez last night in a rubber match, two out of three, uh, squeaked by him. So we're having a lot of fun with Mortal Kombat here at Collider, but I don't know if Joe Taslim and, and Ludi Lin are, are enough, you know? Um, anyways. Telluride announced its lineup, uh, you know, Uncut Gems, a lot of the, the movies that we thought we were going to see. I mean, I love how they, they, they keep this under wraps each year, but like, you know, 
by that time it's already leaked. But the movie that I keep hearing about from all kinds of people across the industry, I've been talking it up for several months, is Waves. Is A24's Waves, starring Sterling K. Brown, Lucas Hedges, Taylor Russell. I've heard this movie is fantastic. I think it's going to be on everybody's best picture predictions list uh, by before the end of the week. Uh, or before the end of the festival, whenever it, it premieres. I'm not sure what day that is. But Waves is the movie to keep an eye on. I had earlier, you know, I'd previously said keep an eye on Just Mercy and Queen and Slim as far as best picture goes. And I might add Waves as that third contender. Um, obviously, Marriage Story is getting great reviews and, and buzz on The Irishman is strong as well. But, uh, yeah, I think that those would be my three front runners right now. So I am adding Waves. Put me down. Speaking of those front runners, Queen and Slim. Debuting at AFI Fest. Huge coup for that festival. I have high hopes for Queen Slim. They are starting to show it around town. Not getting the, the respect that the insider thinks he deserves. Not going to lie. I've tallied up nearly 60 movies to see this fall. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm not happy with the access. People are being invited to these screenings. I don't get it. Nobody cares what these people think. It's like, are we? do studios care more about the outlet or the person? Um, because I don't even need an outlet. If I post something on Facebook, you should see the, the list of the 5,000 Facebook friends that I've curated. When I joined Facebook, I was just accepting anybody's request, and, and I'm sure some of those people are, are still there. Uh, they, they end up getting deleted on their birthday when I, when I actually remember that they do exist. But yeah, it's like, man, if I, if I put out a Facebook status, that's going to reach more Academy members than some of the sites being invited to cover these, these early screenings. So just a little bit of frustration. I'm venting out here on the Snyder Cut. The people who are, are running the, the, the PR campaigns and, and making the decisions on behalf of The Lighthouse, Parasite, Queen and Slim, Joker, Waves, I know all these movies are screening. So it's like, if you don't want me talking about them here, then invite me and shut me up. Um... But yeah, I just the whole well, we're screening for you know long lead elite elite press. I guess I'm no longer considered a part of elite. Uh, well, we'll see about that. More stuff. I wanted to talk about Greg Elwood's uh, Oscar piece this week. I thought that was very smart. He sort of said that listen, with all these Academy invites uh, being sent out, I think they've, they've added about two thousand members in, in the last two or three years. You know, a, a big portion of that are international voters. And you're going to see, as a result, uh, more non-English Best Picture contenders, which I think is a great thing for all of cinema. Uh, last year we saw Cold War. I think Cold War got a nomination. If it didn't, uh, I'm blinking. But uh, if it didn't, Pavel Pavlikowski, its director, definitely got a Best Director nomination. So I think you are going to see uh, some foreign language films and filmmakers end up in those major categories. Greg uh, is pretty confident that Bong Joon-ho is going to crack the list this year for Parasite. That would definitely be pretty cool. Um, I've got to see Parasite first. But before I can see it, I got to be invited to it. So, um, a lot of Joaquin Phoenix buzz as well for Joker. Seems like he's going to slip into that uh, that final five field. Obviously, a lot of buzz for Adam Driver. People are still beating the drum, uh, banging the drum for Leonardo DiCaprio. And then there's just there's so much more. Like you know, uh, Todd Haynes' movie Dark Waters with Mark Ruffalo got dated this week. Um, like I said, waves. I mean, Adam Sandler's supposed to be great in Uncut Gems. I know you're all laughing, but uh, I'm just saying a lot of competition this year. Uh, we had the, the costumes from Rocket Man in the in the studio yesterday and on Movie Talk. It's going to be very interesting to see whether Taron Edgerton cracks this final five. I have a hundred dollar bet with uh, my boy Jack Hind here in the office that Taron will miss out on a nomination. 
Um, again, with these 60 movies coming out this fall, I, I think he's facing an uphill battle. But, you know, of the contenders uh, from the first half of the year, he, he certainly stood out. Uh, there's also a lot of buzz surrounding Ford versus Ferrari. Are you buying it? I think it looks good. And I think, you know, man, I love both those actors, Matt Damon, Christian Bale. They're both terrific. Mangold uh, is a very good director, always interesting. He doesn't really make bad movies. Um, and I love Logan. But I don't, I don't know if I'm buying as like a primary best picture contender. That's tough for me to wrap my head around. It could just be like the sort of the Martian or Interstellar, you know, like the the blockbuster that's done very well. I'm curious how many people are going to turn out for this movie too. It looks expensive, and those those star salaries don't come cheap. And you know, people did not turn out. People don't turn out for a lot of NASCAR stuff. Like. You know, they want to watch actual NASCAR races. They don't want to go to the movies and see it. So I don't know if you're going to get the, that, that middle, middle America race car racing fan base. I don't know if they're going to turn out for this movie. Uh, we'll we'll see. I'm very curious about Ford vs. Ferrari and how Disney handles that release and how, you know, Oscar voters take to it. Um bunch of other stuff. Rotten Tomatoes added 600 critics this week. Uh, it really showed that the company is falling through on its uh, commitment to diversity. Um, listen, this is a great thing. Uh, however, <laughs> I, I just I don't see why you need to be a Rotten Tomato verified. I don't know why you need to see why you need to be Rotten Tomato verified in order to be taken seriously as a critic. Like I don't think. I don't think that getting on Rotten Tomatoes, I don't think it drives any traffic to your review. I think Rotten Tomatoes, and listen, I, I will use it in stories to sort of prove a point when I want to say, you know, so-and-so's movie is critically acclaimed and has a 90, it boasts a 90% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Like, you know, you can use Rotten Tomatoes to make an argument for or against a movie, you know, and and, and that goes, that, that can be said for every single story, like, there are a set of facts, and it's how you want to use these facts uh, to to get your point across. But I, I think that Rotten Tomatoes ultimately contributes to the homogenization of film criticism. I think a lot of these critics, and I'm not talking about you know because I think 55 percent of the invitees were were women. I'm not talking about female critics or even critics of color. I think there's just a lot of like white dude critics who start a blog so they can attend these screenings. Uh, and see free movies. And, and it's like it's become a hobby for a lot of people. You see a lot of people with day jobs and then their night job is they're just going to screenings. And it's like, yeah, I guess I guess they're putting in the same work, you know, that, that I am or whatever. Um, but I just I think that you should seek out critics whose taste you trust. Like, I don't think you should just go to a number uh, and, and rely on that number and trust that number. Like, if I am going to Rotten Tomatoes to see a number, I'm then going to like the top critics and seeing, all right, well, you know, this guy I never agree with, so who cares? This person, uh, you know, this this woman has great taste. I, I always, you know, like what she likes. Um, so it's like when I'm picking a movie at home on on iTunes to watch and my roommate, it's, you know, sees the menu and he's like, ah, oh, only, only 55% of Rotten Tomatoes, man. Never mind. Let's not watch this. I'm like, who cares? No one can even make sense of the system. I don't know what these numbers are even based on. There's no transparency. Um, I, I just I'm not I'm not a fan of Rotten Tomatoes overall. I'm a much bigger Metacritic kind of guy, but I understand Rotten Tomatoes has sort of won that that war. Like that that battle has been fought, and Rotten Tomatoes is victorious. And this is a great initiative. Um, and, you know, I, I like the Rotten Tomatoes people. I, I, I dig everybody over there uh, and, and would like to be more involved with Rotten Tomatoes, you know, m myself to some extent. But I, I just they're, 
they're not the only game in town, and the number isn't the most important thing. So, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, I just encourage you to find people whose taste you trust, and you can seek out their reviews. You don't you don't necessarily need Rotten Tomatoes, but if you are going to go to it, yeah, we should have uh, the, the broadest sampling, uh, you know, from male critics, gay critics, female critics, everybody. Um, Speaking of industry-wide initiatives and whatnot, uh, a bunch of directors getting together to end motion smoothing on your television. I don't like that either, guys. N- nobody likes motion smoothing. But I-, I do love how it's always the same directors who get together to flex their collective muscle uh, on these initiatives. It's like, forget being part of the Academy. Anybody can be part of the Academy. I want to be part of the club that these you know, A-list filmmakers are in where they decide, well, this month we're, we're going to uh, you know, su- support the Kodak Film Initiative. And this month it'll be... Uh, you know, the, the, an Oscar for stunts or whatever it is. It's like, how, how do you get asked to, to weigh in on those important to uh, <laughs> sign this petition or whatever it is? Um, a lot of SNL news this week. I'm a big SNL guy. People are like, why do you bother watching Saturday Night Live anymore? Part of it is, you know, I, I know Beck and Kyle uh, a little bit from their, their USC days. Uh, so I always want to watch them. But listen, I, I, I love... Watching SNL, whether it's live, uh, you get in late at night on a Saturday and, and you catch you know weekend update in the second half of the show, or you wake up Sunday and you know you can just get through the sketches in like forty fifty minutes. Um, I'm, I'm I'm not a big fan of the musical performances. None of these musical guests really did it for me. Uh, but they announced that Woody Harrelson is going to uh, host this season premiere. Kristen Stewart's coming in. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, David Harbour from Stranger Things, and the big one is that Eddie Murphy is going to be hosting the holiday episode a couple days before Christmas. That is so cool. He hasn't been back uh, in Studio Age, I think, since 1984. Since you know he sort of blew up with uh, Beverly Hills Cop, he didn't even come back for like the 40th anniversary taping or anything. So that is awesome, and it just shows that Eddie Murphy really is ready to, to come back and and be the guy that this industry you know hope hope that he would i mean he's got dolomite coming out on netflix uh, i've heard really good things about it he could find himself up for a golden globe he's on comedians and cars getting coffee like i think Eddie murphy is, is sort of ready to play ball again with hollywood and you know he, he's got to be thinking about his legacy at this point uh, and i think he wants to cement that legacy over the next 10 15 years or whatever um, Leslie Jones, meanwhile, leaving, leaving the show to host Supermarket Sweep. They never, I didn't love how they used Leslie Jones. Uh, I, I, I love Leslie Jones and her energy on Weekend Update. I love the her and Kyle recurring romance thing. Uh, I don't know why you would, I'm, she, she's got to have other stuff lined up. Obviously, she's in the Coming to America uh, movie with Eddie Murphy. But, uh, yeah, she's leaving to host Supermarket Sweep, so I'm assuming that, that she's got to have something else lined up, whether it's a movie or another TV show. You know, she, she should have her own TV show. She should have her own sitcom. Um, but maybe on a streamer so she can be a little bit edgy. The good news is that Kate McKinnon is staying on board. I don't know if she'll be a full-time cast member or not because uh, she's, she's got a busy schedule herself. She's supposed to play uh, Elizabeth Holmes and The Inventor. Um, but yeah, a lot, lots happened on SNL. We'll see if there are any new cast members or any exciting new writers who they announce. Uh, if you are a fan of Beck and Kyle like I am, check out Google. I want you to go to YouTube. Check out Good Neighbor Drinking Game. Search for Good Neighbor Drinking Game. It's one of my favorite old Good Neighbor sketches. Um, so yeah, we're going to talk a little movies and trailers, and then we're going to get to the rumor of the week and wrap this show up, guys. Uh, trailers this week. God, we talked about The Mandalorian. We talked about Rise of the Skywalker. There was Lady and the Tramp. Looked adorable. 
I mean, God, uh, if you love dogs, <laughs> I, I like the tramp. I liked uh, Justin Thoreau, uh, the, the way he was sort of voicing him. You know, the mouths still look a little weird or whatever, but I think that that will uh, enchant a whole new generation of moviegoers. We've got second trailers for Joker and Lucy in the Sky. I really wanted to avoid watching the Joker trailer. Um, but Perry made me watch for movie talk. Totally understand why. Had to talk about it. It's great. I mean, I, I think the movie looks fantastic. I've heard it's fantastic from people who've seen it. Uh, it sounds like Joaquin is the real deal. I, I mean, man, it'd be crazy if he did win an, an Oscar, like, you know, after Heath Ledger played the character. Like, you know, that would really speak to Hollywood's collective love for the Joker and what he stands for. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really liked it, and I liked everything I saw out of Brett Cullen as, as Thomas Wayne. That was a role originally going to be played by Alec Baldwin, and I am going to be on the red carpet for the roast of Alec Baldwin uh, that uh, Comedy Central is putting on in a couple of weeks. Uh, hopefully I will get a chance to ask Alec Baldwin, you know, what happened with Joker? Why why did he turn it down? Uh, was, it, was it the script? Was it something else? Anyways, Lucy in the Sky trailer number two looked awesome. I think that movie looks super cool. I'm irrationally excited for it. Big fan of Noah Hawley and what he did with Fargo. Love Natalie Portman. I think Natalie Portman is underrated, uh, which sounds crazy. But, I, yeah, I just don't know that she commands the same respect as as she should. Uh, you know, she's an Oscar winner. Um, I just don't – I don't get that, like, buzz, when, you know, when you hear, like, Nicole Kidman signing on to a project or – and – yeah, I just I, I absolutely love Natalie Portman and uh, and I dig what she's doing in this one. Um, looking forward to seeing John Hamm as well. The Aeronauts debuted a trailer. I thought it looked good. People were kind of shitting on it. They were saying it looks kind of like family friendly. Jeff Wells uh, put in his two cents. Didn't think it looked good. I, you know, I don't love this director, but I was impressed by some of like the shots um, that that are in this trailer. Eddie Redman and Felicity Jones, obviously uh, two solid actors. So I, I'm definitely rooting for this, although it was concerning when, when Amazon sort of announced, listen, we're going to get this on our streaming service as quick as possible, foregoing a planned IMAX run. We also saw trailers for The King. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Didn't really do anything for me. I, I'm a little bit mixed on David Michaud uh, of late. Uh, but that one starts Timothy Chalamet, The Spy with Sasha Baron Cohen. That is a limited series, I believe. I thought that looked really good. It was actually really cool to see Sasha Baron Cohen not, like, doing silly comedy antics uh, and actually acting for a change. The Laundromat, Steven Soderbergh's movie with Meryl Streep and uh, Antonio Barris and Gary Oldman. Um, weird trailer. Didn't love it. Can sort of see, you know, why, why it got a late September release date rather than, like, sort of prime Netflix award season territory. Uh, Soderbergh doing comedy sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, um, and I think I think people have to admit that to themselves that sometimes it just doesn't work. Again, I'm going to go into it with an open mind. It, it sounds like a really interesting story about the Panama Papers, but I can't say that that trailer got me terribly excited. Uh, there was a trailer for the two pipe, no, the two popes that looked interesting with Anthony Hopkins and Jonathan Price. That's another Netflix movie. Man, they are loaded this year. They've also got Breaking Bad the movie. We got a teaser for that, starring was it Skinny Pete? Uh, so yeah, no footage of of Aaron Paul's Jesse Pinkman, and I think Brian Cranston's still playing coy about being in this movie. I'm pretty sure he's in it. I don't even know how you pull the trigger on this movie without getting Brian Cranston in it. Um, but yeah, you know, it was a neat little tease and. Uh, I you know I, 
Breaking Bad, one of the greatest shows of all time. I wouldn't have personally made a, a follow-up series, but, you know, it sounds like everybody loves Better Call Saul, so... Clearly, they gave it a lot of thought. I also saw trailers for Briar Patch, this USA Coen Brothers-esque series with Rosario Dawson that I thought looked really cool. Uh, that's from Andy Greenwald. And then Dickinson, which I don't know. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is a young Emily Dickinson having some wild nights. I-, I called this movie out on Twitter and its producer clapped back at me. So I, I admire the confidence. Um, but yeah, I just think when you're in a post-euphoria world, man, and I started watching Euphoria myself uh, this week, and it, it was it was pretty crazy. It was pretty intense. I don't like to use the word triggering, but I was almost kind of triggered by the show. Uh, and when you're in a post-Euphoria world, I don't know that Dickinson is going to have the, the wild and crazy antics that are going to make it stand out. I really like Haley Steinfeld. She's a fantastic actress. But uh Tough, tough when Euphoria is like that edgy. Um, and Dickinson, you know, it's a period piece. It's set to the trailer was set to a very modern song. I don't know. Um, all right, it was it was I like to the same the same the same music that was in, used in the American Honey trailer. Um, as far as the movies I saw this week, wasn't a lot screening. I don't think that there was a single press screening that I attended. I did start watching Euphoria, which I thought was cool. Uh, I saw the Amazing Jonathan documentary on Hulu. That's a lot of fun. The Great Hack on Netflix, less fun. <laughs> um, it's all about your your data and how it's being used. And then I saw the John Travolta, Fred Durst movie, The Fanatic, guys. I urge you to read Vinnie Mancuso's review on Collider. This movie was bonkers. What a bonkers performance from John Travolta. I got to tell you, I didn't hate it. I, you know, people are like, Fred Durst, no way he makes a good movie. I like these kinds of movies. Um <laughs> This one was was real weird, <laughs> but I've seen worse. I have seen worse this year, folks. Um, all right. What's left? Let's talk about the rumor of the week. So I had to, I had to make some tough calls, basically. Ooh, THR confirming my Richard Linklater story. Can't wait to, to read that and, and see what they had to say about it. Um, so, yeah, tough call with the rumor of the week this week. Didn't know whether to do film or television and, you know, what can I get confirmed? What can I not get confirmed, et cetera, et cetera. So we're going to go with Apple. <laughs> Apple uh, is tough. And um, so, yeah, this is the rumor. I hear that Apple and Fremantle are developing a show called Stockton which is based on the 1986 film The Mosquito Coast, starring Harrison Ford, Helen Mirren, and River Phoenix. I hear that Neil Cross is writing this series, the Luther guy, and that Rupert Wyatt is going to direct uh, the series. I don't know if it would be a proper series or a limited series, probably a limited series, um, because it's based on uh, a book. And so this is what's interesting about this and why I was fairly certain that this, that this rumor was legitimate. Uh, the Mosquito Coast is the 1981 novel written by Paul Thoreau. Paul Thoreau just so happens to be the uncle of one Justin Thoreau. And that is who I hear is going to star in this Apple series. I hear Justin Thoreau is going to be playing the, the role uh, that Harrison Ford played in the Mosquito Coast in an adaptation of this book that was written by his uncle, Paul Thoreau. 
Um, the character would be Allie. Basically, the Mosquito Coast is like, uh, you know, Justin Theroux would play like this brilliant inventor who has become increasingly critical of American consumerism and education and culture. So he decides to move his family from, you know, the suburbs of Massachusetts and, and the influence of America uh, to enjoy a much simpler life on the uh, Mosquito Coast of Honduras. Um, sounds pretty freaking cool to me. Uh, I don't know if I've ever, even ever seen the Mosquito Coast. It may be one of those gaps. I have like vague memories of, of Harrison Ford working with River Phoenix, but I don't know if I've ever seen the whole thing. It may be one of those movies that I caught on TNT or USA back in the day. So I'll have to catch up with that one. But, you know, Justin Theroux doing an Apple series, that sounds right to me. I think he's sort of right on the level of star that, that they're, you know, looking for. Um, and I think it's a, it's a good get for him. Um, because yeah, his you know his feature career, obviously he was hot at, at, off of uh, the leftovers and everything, but it never it hasn't taken off the way that I thought that it might. Um, I'm still still holding out hope that he'll actually get cast as lead in in the Force, uh, that James Mangold adaptation of the Don Winslow book, because I think Justin Theroux would be really good for that. Uh, but hey, an Apple series, uh, you know that based on a book that his uncle wrote, I think that's pretty good in the meantime. So that is the rumor of the week: Justin Theroux Apple Mosquito Coast uh, series from Rupert Wyatt and Neil Cross. Um, that'll do it, I think, for the Snyder Cut this week. Um, you can check out uh, my, the Hard Knocks podcast that I uh, taped with Mark Fernandez. There's only one of those left. Hard Knocks wraps up next week, and so will we. But uh, let us know if you want us back next season. Again, buy tickets for the Schmodown, guys. Saturday night, taking on Paulo Yama. He's the champ. Can I finally dethrone him? If you're anywhere in the vicinity, buy a ticket because it's going to be worth it. Uh, that will do it for the Snyder Cut. You can follow me on Twitter. Instagram, Cameo, at, at the Insnyder. Feel free to send me questions, guys. Uh, use that Snyder, the, the Snyder Cut hashtag to send me questions, and I'll do my best to check that hashtag before I record the show each week. Uh, we, you know, I think we got some cool guests coming up. I think I've got an interview booked for with, uh, with Beck and Woods. Uh, Scott Beck, Brian Woods, the guys who wrote A Quiet Place. They have a new movie called Haunts coming out uh, that I've seen, and it's a lot of fun. Uh, so yeah, everybody have a wonderful Labor Day weekend. Stay safe out there. Make sure to tell your friends about this podcast. Download it on Spotify, Podcast One, Apple Podcasts, all that good stuff. And we'll be back next week to talk about Fall Festival Buzz. Later. The Medicare annual election period deadline is coming soon. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who found the key to the right coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online. I took my time and found the best Medicare Advantage plan for me at MyHealthPolicy.com. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com. And finally, Michael. I prefer face-to-face, so I chose MyHealthPolicy.com and enrolled on the spot. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to learn about top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. MyHealthPolicy.com. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? 
Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.